Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. God, I thank you that you are real. You're the realest thing. I thank you that you're good. And I pray, would you help me to say the things you want me to say and help us to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman was born around 1820 on a plantation in Dorchester County, Maryland. Her parents, Harriet Green and Benjamin Ross, named her Araminta Ross and called her Minty. Her mother worked as a cook in the plantation's big house and her father, Benjamin, was a timber worker. Araminta later changed her name to Harriet in in honour of her mother. Harriet was put to work as a child in the plantation house and then later on in the fields. Harriet's desire for justice became apparent at age 12 when she spotted an overseer about to throw a heavy weight at a fugitive slave. Harriet stepped in between the enslaved person and the overseer and the weight struck her head instead. She was left with life-changing injuries that affected her for the rest of her life. After enduring the horrors of slavery on the plantation for as long as she could remember, on September 17th, 1849, aged about 29 years old, Harriet and her brothers Ben and Henry escaped their Maryland plantation. The brothers, however, changed their minds and went back. But Harriet persevered, and with the help of the Underground Railroad, she travelled 90 miles north to Pennsylvania and to freedom. In the north, Tubman found work as a housekeeper in Philadelphia, but she wasn't satisfied living free on her own. She wanted freedom for her loved ones and her friends too. The following year, she returned to Maryland and escorted her sister and her sister's two children to freedom. She made the dangerous trip back south soon after to rescue her brother and two other men. On her third return, she went after her husband, only to to find that he had taken another wife. Undeterred, she found other slaves seeking freedom and escorted them to the north. Harriet returned to the South again and again and again. And by 1860, she had made the perilous trip to slave country 19 times. It's believed that Harriet personally led hundreds of enslaved people to freedom, including her own elderly parents, and instructed dozens of others how to do the same. But what some people don't know is that Harriet had visions of God. It is believed that it's Harriet's visions of God that led her to safety as she travelled across the states. Harriet's visions of where she was going, who she belonged to, changed everything for her. 
she was able to risk all for others, knowing that she was truly free in Jesus. Now, we have been in a series for a few months, a good few months now, all about the book of Revelation. Now, this book describes the vision of Jesus that disciple, the disciple called John had. John had these visions, not while enslaved in the United States, but as a prisoner on a remote and hostile island near Greece called Patmos. John had a vision of Jesus, and he wrote down everything he heard and he saw. And we've been exploring those writings over the last few months. We've seen the awesomeness and power of Christ. As Johnny read earlier, we've seen his eyes ablaze, his hair like snow, his tongue shaped like a sword. We've read the seven letters to the ancient churches, and we've seen how they are written to us today as well. We've studied the metaphor and symbolism in Revelation. The woman, the child, the beast, all that stuff. And if you're joining us for the first time this week, or maybe you've just forgotten some along the way, the Bible Project sums up the book of Revelation like this. Revelation is a story about Babylon, judgment, and most importantly, Jesus. So that's where we've been, but where are we going? Well, today, we're looking at the end we're looking at the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. We read Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Firstly, we read in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now let's stop there. A new heaven and a new earth. I thought the whole point of this Christian malarkey was that we get to go to heaven when we die. Well, the biblical writers didn't quite think like that. The theology of evacuation, of um, escaping this place and going somewhere else, would have been completely alien to them. That idea that basically says when Jesus comes back, he's going to take us away with him, is a pretty new one. It says that when Jesus returns, planet Earth will basically be chucked in the bin 
and will live on the he- in the heavens forever. And when that thinking is at its most extreme, we, th- we can think that we'll be reclining on clouds, relaxing and topping up our tans for eternity. Or maybe like John Mark Comer says, we think of heaven like a combination of eternal church service and eternal holiday. And depending on your personality, that might sound more like hell, right? (laughs) But that's not how the New Testament folks saw it. In their minds, and in the mind of John, who's writing this, the end is going to be like the beginning. The end will be everything renewed. And in this passage, we see what the new creation will be like. We see what it will feel like, smell like, sound like, and look like. And in the new creation, there will be no more chaos, no more distance, no more pain, and all things will be new. Firstly, there will be no more chaos. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Throughout scripture, we see that the seas are used to show chaos, disorder, and danger. We are first introduced to the concept in Genesis as the Spirit of God hovers over the chaotic waters before anything is spoken into being. It's described in Exodus as the people of Israel cross the seas, the chaotic seas, to freedom. Even when Jesus is with his disciples in a boat on a lake, he calls peace in the chaotic storm. Chaos is a trait of the world as we experience it today. But in the new creation, there's no seas. There's no chaos. There's no more chaos in the economy. No more chaos in the environment. There will be no more chaos in our workplaces. No more chaos in our schools. No more chaos in our families. And no more chaos in our minds. Secondly, there will be no more distance. Verse 2, I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. In the new creation, God will dwell with his people perfectly again. There will be no distance between us and God. We will be worshipping forever, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We will be with the one who calls us beloved, the one who breathed us into being. In the new creation there will be no more pain. Verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And in the new creation, all things will be new. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I, 
and making everything new. So that's good news, I guess, right? There will be a time where there's no chaos, no distance, no pain, and everything will be new. But what about now? What does this say to us here today in Nottingham? Well, now, by his spirit, we have Jesus. So I was raised in a Christian home, and both my parents were church leaders, my maternal grandparents were missionaries, and my fraternal grandmother was also a church pastor. So I was like the ultimate pastor's kid. And I know there are quite a few pastor's kids in the room today, and that experience can be different for different people. But for me, it meant being the first in at church and the last out. I knew all about God. I read all the Bible stories. I even spent Sunday school learning the order of the books in the Bible. (laughs) But I actually didn't know God at all. So when I moved to Nottingham about 10 years ago for university, I left my physical home. I moved from the south to the north slash the Midlands. And I also said goodbye to my spiritual home too. I basically said to God every day through my choices, I'm going to do things my own way. I don't need you. And my first year of university was filled with all all the wrong things. It was filled with excess in every way. I was going out, drinking, clubbing, multiple nights a week, and I barely went to my lectures in the day. And then... It was just just after exam season, so it was about this time, nine years ago, I was on uh, the way to rescue rooms in town with some friends. And in the taxi there, I actually had an argument with them. I fell out with them and decided not to go in. In that moment, I felt so angry and tired and alone and decided to go back home to Beeston back to halls in Beeston. Any Broadgate Park people here? No. Um, And in the taxi on my way home, I basically said to God, I thought in his direction, which I'd probably now call praying, I thought, God, my life is an actual mess. It's worse than it's ever been. I'll give your way a go. And the next morning, I woke up with a lightness I woke up and I felt like every thought I had was a prayer. It felt like God was there with me in my bedroom. I had an energy to read the Bible, which don't tell my mum and dad, but I'd literally never had before. (laughs) They'll probably listen to this anyway. And for the first time, I was like singing worship songs and um, loudly in my room and wasn't embarrassed at all. God was so kind to me. And loved me in a way that I couldn't deny. He showed me that he was what I'd always been searching for. And maybe your story is a bit like mine. But you haven't quite said yes to Jesus yet. Maybe it's because you're not quite sure what he's going to say to you. Well, I'm here to say this morning in my last Sunday here, that if you ask him to reveal himself to you, he will. If you ask him to forgive you, 
he will. If you ask him to welcome you back into his arms, he will. It's never too late. All you have to do is ask. Turn and come home. Just say the word and he'll come running out towards you. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the locus of all creation, the center of the universe. And as Christians, we are found in him. We belong to Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in his letter to the church in Corinth, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Another translation puts it this way. Now, we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah, anyone united with Jesus, gets a fresh start and is created new. The old life is gone, a new life emerges. Even though it looked pretty um, ordinary and inconsequential in that taxi, When I asked God to come into my life, when I invited Jesus in, something big happened. When I said yes to Jesus in that Uber, I became a new creation. When we say yes to Jesus, we become new creation people. That means we are people of the future time and place, but here in the present. Or to change the language, we're kingdom people, we're Jesus people. We're invited into a new life in Jesus. And this new life is life to the fullest. Not full-ish, but to the fullest. I was talking with a friend yesterday about what I was planning to share. And she was saying that it's a bit like when you buy something new, like a lipstick. It's a shade you love, and in the shop it looks amazing. Then you get home and decide to put it away for a special occasion. You wonder if the lighting is different at the shop than in real life. And you begin to doubt that the lipstick can actually be worn on a normal day. So you put it away and decide to bring it out when the weather is just right, when it's the perfect invitation and the outfit is a perfect match. But months go by and it never gets worn. Knowing that Jesus will come and bring the new creation can sometimes feel like that lipstick that we save for the special occasion, that we'll wear on that big day. We tell ourselves, when the moment is just right, we'll tell other people about Jesus. When the weather is perfect, we'll share our faith. When the wind is blowing just perfectly, then we'll serve others and live for them. We tell ourselves, not today, but another day. Not right now, but later. But... The truth is, we are called to live that now. We are called to wear the lipstick now. We are called to live for Christ now. Do you trust that you're a new creation in Christ? Are you willing to risk it all so that others can know the life of Jesus, so that others can know the freedom in him? We're a new creation. We're a new creation in Jesus, yes. And yet, the world around us is anything but new. As we were praying and singing this morning, 
the world is broken. We need to pray for things to change. It's played with chaos, distance, and with pain and death. And Harriet Tubman would have known that with her every being. Her experience of the world looked nothing like the new creation. She endured torture, pain, loss, and abuse. Yet she knew the one who is renewing all things. In the final moments before her death, she said, I go to prepare a place for you. On her deathbed, this saint, this woman of faith, quoted the words of Jesus Christ from John's Gospel. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Why does Harriet say Jesus' words at her death? Because Jesus has the final say. He is the hope in the despair. He is the light in the darkness. Jesus said to John in Revelation, it is done. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. On that cross, he silenced it all. Jesus is the embodiment of the new creation. He is the new creation in flesh and blood. We can come to him and experience the new that is to come in and through him by his spirit. Not just on a Sunday like this, but every day. Every single day. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Give everything to him. He can be trusted. To the thirsty, he will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. He will give living water, the kind that will never run out. So as we come to table to receive from the one who is the first fruits of the new creation, let's take a moment in quiet. Bring your heart, your mind, your body to this moment and allow God to wake you up to his presence here with us now. Let's pray.